Radio Mano Papachango. talk a lot about what we're up to these days in the podcast in the addendum to this episode uh, with Justin Alexander worldwide adventurer Um, so I won't uh, get into too much of that in the intro here I'll just say thank you to everybody who's been supporting the podcast either through fundwhatyoulove.com or uh, through buying stuff on Amazon through our affiliate link it's really cool I see some of you are commercial marijuana growers and uh, buying your fertilizer and lamps and things through our Amazon portal, which is really cool because I know that stuff is expensive and uh, I guess you're getting a good price for it uh, on Amazon, so that's great. Um, Anyway, if you don't know what this is about, if you go through our affiliate link on uh, chrisryanphd.com, you'll see there's an Amazon advertisement there if you click on that and then bookmark your landing page and use that as your amazon page everything you buy five to seven percent of whatever you spend will be kicked back to the podcast it doesn't get added to the price it's just amazon's profit margin is cut by four five ten eight percent whatever it is uh, depending on the item and that money goes to the podcast so it's a very cool way to support the podcast without costing anything extra uh, for you. It's just redirecting Amazon's money. To be clear, I'm not asking anyone to sign up for Amazon. I'm I'm sort of undecided as to whether Amazon is a force for progress or uh, not in our world. But if you're already buying stuff from Amazon and you want to support the podcast, that's a great way to do it. So I appreciate everybody who's doing that, funding the podcast one way or another, supporting it with your emails, with your uh, kind reviews on iTunes and whatever, telling your friends about it. With no further ado, I'm going to say goodbye from Chiang Mai, Thailand, and hello to Justin Alexander. You'll hear this podcast has two parts. The first part we recorded in L.A. about six weeks ago, and the second part we recorded right here in Chiang Mai about five minutes ago. Hope everybody's having a great time out there, and uh, I'll be in touch next week. You're supposed to sit on your ass and nod at stupid things. Man, it's hard to do. Modern day slave is knocking on my front door. I don't fit in the corporate world, man. I never pledge allegiance to your blood, sweat, and taxes. Don't ever mistake me being docile for contentment. Don't ever mistake my anger for resentment. Remember
world A time in Oklahoma You tried to blame an error But the whitey was the bomber You be jumping to conclusions I think you spent your whole life Watching cable in seclusion It is what it is and that's all What are you going to do With some fool look up on a clear day And say that the sky's not a true enough blue Ladies and gentlemen, I am on the beach in Venice, California, home of, what the hell is Venice home of? Hippies, bodybuilders. Oh yeah, Muscle Beach. Muscle Beach, uh, overpriced, shitty food. Um, tourist traps. Tourist traps, nice, yeah. Nice little, uh, is, or I guess that's Santa Monica up there. Santa Monica is nearby. Yeah. It's, it's south of Santa Monica. I'm here with Justin Alexander, our returning champ. He, uh, if you haven't heard his first appearance on this podcast, it was what, six months ago or something? 143. Number 143. All right. And this is, I'm up to like 160 something at this point. So it's 20 episodes or so back. Yeah. How long ago was that? Three months? Four months? I don't know. I do one a week. So 25 weeks, something like that. Does that make sense? I'm trying to think. Okay. Oh, it must be more than that. Anyway. No, I mean five months. Yeah, because yeah, four, four probably around that. Anyway, who gives a shit? <laughs> Nobody cares except us, and, and we don't even really care. We're just killing time while we think about what to talk about. <clears throat> so we're sitting here on the beach. Justin Alexander has, since I saw you last, you have been cruising around these United States of America on your Royal Enfield bike, taking lots of uh, beautiful photographs of yourself. You're the you're the fucking selfie king, man. No, no, no. I don't You are the you know selfie what? There's a, there's king. There's a difference between like I think people I like to see photos of people in environments. And what I think what I'm doing is I'm like trying to share my story and my view, and it's not just like through my eyes, but it's like this is what I'm doing. Yeah. So um, it's hard to do that when I'm by myself all the time. Yeah. You know, occasionally, like, I'll take friends camping and I'll have them hold a camera for me. And they're right. like, here, I'm gathering some firewood. Like, can you just hold this? Right. Um, and it, it feels vain. <laughs> I definitely feel weird about it. But, like, yeah. I like the result. You know, I like, I like yeah. being the star of a movie that I make. Yeah. Use and, you know, well, as Rogan always says, it. be the star of your own movie, yeah, right? Or got, the hero of your own movie. Yeah, the hero of your own story. Yeah. Well, I mean, I'm giving you shit about it, but in a good-hearted way, because you're right. And I think I said this in our first episode. If the photos weren't so fucking good, then I'd just say, you you vain, narcissistic <laughs> son of a bitch. But the photos are really beautiful. I Thank have you. no idea how how you do that. Well, generally... Uh, it must take a lot of time. It, it's annoying. I yeah. don't like doing it. Yeah. Um, cause, because it just takes me out of whatever I'm doing. Like, I'd rather right. just walk through an area and sit, but then I think, wow, this would make a really beautiful shot. So then right. I pull the shit out. Or sometimes I'm riding the motorcycle and I'm like, have to get... You know, I've got another 300 miles to ride. Right. And But this is perfect, so I have to stop and, like, you know, get the phone out and set up a tripod and ride the motorcycle by and then come back and look at it and then look shitty so I have to like get a different angle sometimes it takes an hour to get a shot that I might not even use yeah so those shots of you like cruising along on the bike and you can tell you're moving because everything's in a blur behind you mm -hmm. you're doing that on a timer and you're just like hoping you're in front of the camera when you go no by. no so here's how I take pictures of myself is uh, I set it on video 
and I frame uh, and you it. get a still and and you know what and the quality is not the same as if I were to do it with a DSLR or yeah. even to do it with the front-facing camera but, but it's I also fucking I good hate quality posing I, I feel every time I go and pose for a picture it feels weird and, uh, well, you and, uh, always get that muscle definition, man. <laughs> <laughs> that photo was taken of me by my friend with uh, the one on the survival bike? trip. Oh, no, 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 that one, no. The, oh, you're one the one of, of me you recently doing the fire? Him. Yeah, I'm you rapping. got every fucking muscle rippling yeah. in that. I was I'm just lean, jealous. We're doing survival I'm just shit. jealous, man. I'm like, just a flabby old man <laughs> giving you shit. <laughs> the one on the bike that, I love, that I'm, I'm thinking of is like, you're kind of standing up and your triceps are like completely yeah, well, that, defined and you're cruising. Here's the thing is that when you're standing on the pegs of a motorcycle going 80 miles an hour, like you're holding on really yeah. hard, yeah. you know? So yeah. there's that. And then the lighting is just right. Yeah. Yeah, it's a great photograph. It's yeah, it is. Sterling. I like that. And the one of you like crouching down by a fire and you're lighting your cigarette with a burning twig and the light's just right. It's like fucking Marlboro, man. What is this? <laughs> oh yeah, that was a good one. That was a good one. He took that one too as well. Oh really? We were camping together. Oh uh, yeah, that's um, good. And one of my favorites from, you know, because I started following you. I guess I started following you before we actually I was in, met. I was in South America when we first started because I was going to go live with a tribe. Right. That That's right. You wrote to me through Facebook. Yeah. And I was giving you a bit of a hard time about... Um, Don't bring diseases. Yeah. Because, yeah, people go into these uncontacted tribes and, you know, they're thinking, you know, I'm just cool. I'm going to hang out. And next thing you know, everybody's dead because you have the flu or something. Right, right. Yeah. Have you ever read that play in the fields of the Lord? You told me to read it, and I haven't read it. But what? It's on my. It's on my I've got what? a long. What do you list mean you haven't read it? I've got so. I many gave books. you homework, young I'm man. I'm reading. I'm in the middle of a bunch of books, and it's on my list. Yeah. Well, you'll get to it when you get to it, and uh, I think you'll love it. It's it's an amazing book, and I won't talk any more about it because the thing I was going to mention would really kind of ruin the story for people. So, <laughs> <laughs> anyway. Uh, Oh, I was going to say one of the the really cool things I've seen on your Instagram feed, which is Adventures of Justin. For those of yeah. you who don't follow Justin, do it. It's cool. His great photographs in amazing places and, and just really, uh, I mean, National Geographic quality oh, wow. uh, yeah. photography. Anyway, you, you were in... Um, What's it called? Hivasu Falls? Oh, yeah, it's Hivasu Falls, yeah. And you hiked back to it, and there was a flash flood while yes. you were back there? Yes, yes. And I didn't, I didn't, I wasn't planning on getting that shot, but when I walked in, it was, the water was already a bit muddy, and uh, I kind of had some shots of just the falls and, or me sitting there. And then when I came back two hours later, because it was dumping, all, it, it just it looked like it, it, it was, was a different place. It's, yeah, it's, that's that's what carves the Grand Canyon. You yeah, know? And that's the power. Yeah, and, uh, I, I luckily I got both of those shots in slow motion. And I'm incorporating it into my next little video that I'm doing. Um, it's beautiful, and the music is really great too. Yeah, so. and you um, have a, a YouTube. Channel. Yeah, I've got a YouTube page. I mean, a YouTube page and a blog. Generally, I'll post like every time I post a blog, I'll post a video, and then I'll have some pictures and kind of share the story behind it because. I think the, the pictures are beautiful, but there are so many beautiful pictures online, and I, I like more like the story behind a place or yeah. about something that happened. And yeah. so, like when I'm, I don't I don't feel like you know talking about selfies. I don't feel like I just go to places and take pictures of my face in front of something, you know, like the Eiffel right. Tower. Right. But like, I'm gonna climb up to the top of this building, yeah, dress up like a ninja, and that shot looks fucking dope. Yeah. So, um, yeah, so I just will go either uh, that ninja thing in New York recently was with a couple other urban explorers. Actually, I'm gonna go. I've got a 15-hour layover in Tokyo, 
and uh, I'm meeting up with this big guy on Instagram, uh, Vlad Viper, big urban explorer. His, his photos are incredible, and we might go try and climb Tokyo Tower in my 15-hour layover. Wow. So He's I never done it. I should not uh, release this before you go, just so that nobody's waiting for you there. <laughs> no cops who yeah, listen to my good. podcast. <laughs> Tokyo cops listening to this podcast. Be yeah. cool. Be cool, guys. <laughs> Uh, yeah, so I didn't, I don't think we talked about that whole ninja thing. You, you <laughs> might have mentioned it, but I mean, I, I don't, I thought ninjas, yeah. I thought it was just like a cartoon. I use it my own way. I mean, I'm, I'm not like, don't study ninjutsu, like, but I, that's not really what I, is, I don't it, think is it, it a martial art? It is a martial art, art yeah. And Nin- I have a really? lot of friends who are ninjas, <laughs> you know, they're black belt in ninjutsu and ninjutsu. Yeah. Yeah, huh. there. Stephen K. Hayes was a big writer that really brought it into the states, and then there were there are a lot. And he studied with uh, some of my friends. Who studied with, um, um, uh, gosh, I can't remember his name right now. Unfortunately, he's like the grandmaster of ninja too. Mm-hmm. Uh, Hatsumi, Hatsumi Sensei. Um, but it's more like I I really love the idea of it's really more the Native American scout, but. Um, you know the the person that can go in and disappear and and like do superhuman feats and you know d- gather information to save the tribe and be a- be able to survive where others can't and run hundreds of miles like those are my heroes growing up right and um, the ninja thing is just because I, I since I was a teenager I used to just dress in black and try and see if I could sneak through towns through rooftops climbing on roofs I split my face open on a barbed wire fence almost ripped my nose off I've like really hurt myself a few times doing that kind of shit but. Um, New York is it just is perfect for it. You know, beautiful. I've climbed uh, the Brooklyn Bridge, Manhattan Bridge, and done a bunch of rooftoping. So I just did that again recently. Um, it's just fun to treat. You can have an adventure in a city. You know, every yeah. every day is an adventure for me. So yeah, yeah. It's that. So so anyway, the the whole background of the ninja thing is kind of more along the lines of a nature ninja. Right. You know, not necessarily an assassin. Right. No, I think those skills are important not, to have. Not necessarily <laughs> an assassin. I think a ninja yeah. should be able should be able to be an assassin. No. Okay. This is a strange thing to talk about, but since you're you're talking about assassins, do you ever? I mean, I, I'm assuming you've never killed anyone, and if you have, you probably wouldn't want to tell me about it. But do you ever regret that? Do you ever regret that? Killing a person is not a part of our lives. Um, no, you know what? I, I I would love to have lived in a time when I could be kind of this. Uh, I, I want. I would love to be able to carry a sword and do right in the world. You know, like yeah, Conan the Barbarian. Kind well, of. that's the thing. I mean, not killing someone just for the thrill of it or whatever, but like defending your tribe or you know. Like, yeah, well, I'm glad I haven't had a, to. There's a, there's a. I guess what I'm trying to say is there's, there's a warrior mentality. Yes, and I've got a lot of friends who are. Right. You know, I've got a lot of friends who are either military or work in those kind of very dark arts, and yeah. most of them are very sweet people, and they're, right. they're just, they've been in really, in situations that I can't imagine, like, uh, one of these guys I was hanging out with recently, I should probably, yeah, because he gave me a shout-out, so it's probably cool to to, to uh, check out Ed Manifesto on Instagram, if you're, if, uh, he, he came from a really, really rough Mexican background, you know, like, a lot of things that are just grotesque you know he's done a lot of bad things he's like very but he has kind of came to a uh, 
a turning point in his life and he said I want to use these skills to help people be able to protect themselves you know so he teaches right. escape and evasion stuff what uh, to do if you right. are kidnapped by the cartel or ISIS or this or that and um, you know how to escape handcuffs how to escape uh, and how to kill people right you know it's not about it's not about boxing it's about it's about ending somebody you know? yeah. and he definitely has killed people um, see this is what happens we're on this we're on a <laughs> deserted beach and the minute you get a mic out loudmouth people come around oh, they're hey. taking selfies too that's cute yeah yeah the thing about the the modern warrior is I feel like it's been corrupted like so many things that you know it's like a it's like fighting dogs you know the you know a dog will fight to protect its pack but but these dogs that are fighting in a ring for fucking drunken idiots to bet on that, right, that's right. how I sort of see the military these days it's like yeah you guys you know you've got noble intentions you you know you think you're going to defend your country or something and then you're out there what killing somebody to you know make sure the price of oil doesn't go up it's just all corrupted and and you know people Sebastian Junger you know him he, yeah, yeah. he was embedded with the marines in Korangal Valley it was really moving I saw this interview he did and they were the interviewer asked him, like, why? You know, why are these guys out there? They're getting shot at every day, and they're going through this incredible hardship. And he said, well, they do it for love. Wow, really? Yeah, they do it for each other. For their brothers. Yeah, they're for their brothers. For their brother on their exactly. Shoulder, yeah. But that's, I mean, but that's... That's not what That's really... why the other guys yeah, are doing yeah. it, you know? Yeah, yeah. And well, so I mean... here we got all these great people shooting at each other, and the fucking assholes who are, you know, send them into it are just laughing. Yeah, it's, uh, and, you know, it's... I like the idea of the warrior in that uh, those skills can be used to protect people, right? You know, and, and yeah. they can, but it's done on a very independent level, you yeah. know, on a, on a very, you know, you're making moral decisions, right? And you're I not think, following orders, right? Right? Yeah, yeah. I, I almost became a seal. Really? Uh, I've, got, I've got some of my good friends are, and we had talked about it when I was uh, in my teens. And then I broke my back in a car accident. But then uh, when I was like 28, turning 29, right at the cutoff, I was like wanting something else in my life. I ended up starting a company and now, now I am where I am, thank goodness. Um, but I wanted, you know, I wanted adventure, I wanted brotherhood, I wanted to be, I wanted the skills to be able to protect people. And I knew right. that, and my goal was to once I got out, I could get into contract work where I could do things that I really felt good about. Turns out it's not really, that's not how it works. You know, I've got friends who do that and it's not, it's not it's you're really still not doing it the way that I would want to do it but I still want the training I still want the skills I still want the capabilities because I want wherever I go for me to be safe and also the people everywhere I go everyone else is safer because I'm there and that that's a warrior to me do you ever feel that you're training for situations that never arise yeah my whole teen my whole teen life was training for an apocalypse you know <laughs> and then I'm like that's kind of a fucked up way to live <laughs> yeah and then you're disappointed because the world didn't end. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And yeah. the thing is, I love I people, and I love, you know, I, I, I like a lot about this world that we're living in, you know, mm -hmm. and, that, and to go, uh, granted, watching, you know, you watch zombie movies or post-apocalyptic movies, and everyone is like, yeah, what would I do, what would I do? And um, I think it's great to have skills that can, that can work in those situations, you know, so you're not, you're not afraid of it. Right. But I still don't want it to happen. Yeah. You know, and it sure would suck, and I don't know if I'd make it. You know, every, everyone, uh, almost everyone I know that knows me is like, hey, yo, if shit goes down, 
Yeah, I went down with you, right? Yeah. I'm like, I can't make that promise to everyone. <laughs> I have no idea. <laughs> who knows where you'll well, be? Who knows where I'll be? Who knows if I'll make it? <laughs> yeah. Well, that's the thing. I mean, dumb. the shit might go down, and you might step on a rusty nail and be like, "Fuck!" Yeah, I that was the dude. Or, yeah. yeah. I mean, I think of it, my wife is, is, I always think of her as like my post-apocalyptic ace up the sleeve, uh-huh. you know, like she's a doctor who knows how to doctor without technology, which yeah. is exactly what you need, right? Like she, she knows how to diagnose and treat shit with, you We know, need a team. Yeah, you know, exactly. People that you need, you need a, yeah. a warrior ninja scout who right. can set up booby traps, who can track and counter track, who knows how to, you know, not leave the trail, how to have, right. have invisible camps if there's other people hunting you, like that's crucial and you need a someone who knows how to set up a garden mm-hmm. and you need someone yeah. who's good with like basic technology yeah. who can set up a wing thing yeah engineering. engineering is really important yeah yeah get some electricity in this bitch and Absolutely. yeah i mean yeah. I, i've got a couple of those people that do, like are they know, standing by <laughs> <laughs> one of them and a you need money well. we need to like yeah. get a big piece of land the problem with all this poke apocalyptic planning is like, if you set it up and you actually get a good thing going, then you're going to have the fucking lunatics coming in with all their guns and take it all away, you know? Yeah, man. I, uh, I don't really have a plan. Um, There's no way to I plan. I don't really have a plan. I'm just, uh, and that's kind of how my life is. I'm just, like, dealing with things, like, yeah. as they're coming because uh, I think being prepared or having the mentality to be able to handle it is important, but, like, I don't want to spend a lot of my life energy. It, same with the warrior stuff. I don't want to spend so much of my life energy contemplating destructing yeah like destruction and violence and these guys that's they think about it all the time you know i don't want to say they're paranoid because they're in real situations all the time but they're always caring they always like whenever we're moving like going into a public area they'll be like hey just so you know i'm caring here if i go down here's my weapons (coughs) here's where like yeah the keys are this you know like all of this stuff is always in their minds and if something does go down that will save your life, you know? So that's great. But living that way all the time is just not the mindset I want. Right. You know? Yeah. Yeah, I carried a weapon for a while. I've carried different weapons different times. But it definitely distorts the way you think. It makes you think. It makes you plan for use. Yeah, yeah. Um, I mean... Luckily, all my weapons are also tools, so right. I just happen to have a lot of things on me at all times that I really need. Like, I always have a pocket knife on me. I always have some type of blade on me because I'm in situations all the time where I need to cut things, you know? I always have a tactical flashlight with me. Um, it's like a thousand lumens. It'll blind somebody, and you can smash somebody with it, but it's also nice to have a flashlight with you all the time, right. you know? Right. Uh, carry a lock with me. I keep this in a bandana. It becomes a... Uh, like tool to put a hole in someone's head, uh-huh. you know. Like, so, but it's also nice to have a lock on you all the time. So, right. um, having a few tools, I think, is nice. But they just, you know, walking around loaded, carrying yeah. a sword or a gun or you know, a big blade is a different kind of energy. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Yeah, I, I don't know this thing with guns. I, I, uh, I my phone has a fingerprint recognition thing on it. Mm-hmm. I don't understand why guns can't have that. Yeah, well... Pistols, anyway. Right. Yeah, I think um, I think a lot of people that are, are, are worried about the government um, and, like, uh, you know, in, in our word of 1984-type scenarios yeah. or totalitarian control and dictatorship and that, yeah. you know, they, they use the, their Second Amendment rights to, like, 
hey, you know, in case of this, this is why we want these weapons because you guys have machine guns. So why why do we get muzzle loaders? You yeah. know, like that's their mentality, right? Yeah. But you're well. See the 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 argument I make with that, and I, I get in trouble every time I mention this. I get all these emails from angry gun people. Um, but the the argument I make with that is your, you know, your pistol is not going to stop a Black Hawk helicopter oh. or you know train military guys. You and your you know fat ass trailer park buddies aren't going to fight off infantrymen. Oh, speaking of military, there's an interesting plane flying over. It looks like a... Do you want to cut this for uh, that sound? No, it's all right. It's ambience. It's, uh, it's an old single-engine prop plane. I don't know what that is. Oh, yes, and a tractor is coming by, ladies and gentlemen. Sandcomber? Uh, yeah, it looks like it's going to... Yeah, I can edit this out later. Yeah. Or I'll forget and it'll just be in there. People go, it's not very professional. <laughs> I'm, well, I'm not going to donate PayPal. Anyway, uh, well, the, the, the reason I mention this is that I, I kind of feel like there's a similarity. You know, it's a micro-macro situation. When I was a teenager, I uh, studied martial arts. I carried a knife everywhere. I, you know, had all these fantasies of how I was going to survive in the post-apocalypse, and I was, you know, knew what plants to eat and how to snare rabbits and all this kind of stuff. And I, I can't help feeling like that was a manifestation of my feeling vulnerable as a teenage boy who moved a lot and didn't have friends, and you know, so it's like, like I could take care of myself, you know. It was bullshit. If the world fucking ended, I would have died as fast as anybody else. But it made me feel better. Mm. And I feel like in America, the gun thing is sort of the same psychological mechanism. People are telling themselves, you know, if the government tries to, you know, take over, I'm going to, you know, me and my buddies, we're going to be, we're going to, you know. No, yeah. you're not. Yeah. There, you're I not. Mean, there's, there's, that, that is, that is, there is that group, you know, definitely. But, you know, then there are a lot of people that are just like, know i'm in, like i think that old women should be allowed to carry guns because they can't defend themselves from people that are trying to hurt them you know i think that it, it it is a equalizer you know so in that way you know i think that a gun can prevent a rape better than than screaming will um i don't necessarily think yeah. that everyone should carry a gun you know i don't think that i i don't really i see both sides i see a lot of sides to the, yeah. the gun thing you know yeah i do too um and, uh, yeah, I wish I could carry a, a hunting rifle with me all the time. You know, but that, would, that would be weird and illegal, you know? It would be weird, and, but and how practical would it be? Uh, for me, very. Why? Because I hunt small game and stuff. And I'm, oh, I'm, oh. You know, like, okay. you know, like I would... I, I thought you were through, talking about protection. Like, you know, you oh, see no. an assailant <laughs> coming from 200 yards away. <laughs> you can take him out. Last time I shot a gun, I drove the scope into my forehead oh, and had yeah, to go to the emergency that, room. Did you yeah. shoot a 50? Uh, it was a 300 mag okay, win. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, and I had been shooting a 30 out six, and I was accustomed to it. And then my buddy was like, "Hey, take a shot on this." He was adjusting the scope, and I adjusted it right into my skull. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I would love to be able to get go get an Enfield motorcycle in India, and like go go through the west and the north, and like be there's so much wilderness and game up there, and deserts mm. and stuff. It'd be nice to be able to. I'll hunt small game when I'm going, and I, I did yeah. with a little bit with a pellet gun up in Idaho and Montana. And I do fish, but uh, um, you know, I had a I had a gun pulled. Have you ever had a weapon pulled on you? Gun? Mm, 
I've been shot at, but I didn't know he was shooting at me because it was the Fourth of July. Oh, so right, I thought right. it was firecrackers. Tell me this last time. So yeah, yeah. Up. So no, I've never. No one's ever pulled a weapon and aimed it at me yeah. that I saw that I was aware I had a, of. I had a. I was breaking up a fight in Thailand on Song Grand. Surprisingly, oh, you told me the story. This, yeah, did I tell you this on the yeah, podcast last you time. Alright, probably shouldn't say it again. This then. is the problem go with back podcasts. To part one. <laughs> um, That's right. To hear the rest of that story, <laughs> go to episode one forty three. Uh, um, yeah, uh, but. Yeah, and I, you know, I didn't really know what to do in that situation. And I think if I had had a gun, it might have been bad. Well, it might have been you know, worse. Well, that's had, the thing oh, about guns. Since I guns, saw you, yeah. I've been—I was robbed by a bunch of meth addicts. Uh, at in the, the Burning Man. It was right? No, it was at Burning Man. But it, it was, was right like, after, at, in in the day I in left Reno, or yeah, I saw the that. I, and they like got your new camera oh and all my your God. shit. I'm so meth heads. So upset. Fuck, dude. So like, this is like actually a good story. Um, but me being strapped would have been real bad. Right. Um, a guy came in the end. I was looking for my bags in this house that were not no longer there because I went to go drop off my uh, motorcycle and someone had let me crash on a couch, which is um, pretty normal for me now. Right. Um, I was going to sleep on the roof of a 7-Eleven and instead got an offer. So I was like, okay, well, I had my bags hidden in the bushes, went and got my bag, went inside. The next morning I go to... Uh, walk four blocks to the motorcycle come back and the bags are no longer by the couch where I left them and um, there was a bunch of arguing amongst what I now know are you know meth addicts in this what the cops called a flop house which is basically a place for vagrants and drug addicts you know um, and uh, when I was pressing this lady very politely like hey this is everything I own like can I please have my stuff back guy white guy with long stringy hair no shirt and an axe comes walking out of the back room and he's holding an axe in one hand and pointing at the door in the other hand I'm like would being in like would just like dominating and killing him or like maybe getting cut be like the best thing in that situation and if I had a gun like I you know might have pulled it you know or shot him or something like that and now my life would be ruined you know so I ended up uh, being very humble and you know having my hands up and positioning myself in a way that if he did come at me you know thinking and then walked out the door you know so uh, I I think maybe having a gun in that situation might not be so good well martial arts same thing you know I mean I I spent years studying martial arts and I look back and say thank God I never I never did anything if if anything what they did was allow me to have the confidence not to engage in a fight that's important and and, and when you're not afraid it's easier to stay calm right you know, it's like you can be Mr. Miyagi. Right. You know? Yeah. Uh, not that and I And an axe, by the way. Uh, dude, it's pretty... It's, it's pretty, pretty easy to yeah. fight an axe. Yeah. Because you get inside that radius Absolutely. and he's yeah. helpless. And I've done yeah. a bunch of stuff, like with Krav, they do a lot of blunt and uh, blunt weapon fighting, baseball bats and pipes and things. And, right. But I definitely, you know, so if he'd come at me, I would have had to respond and then it would have been probably yeah. bad. But, um, you know, for him to be pointing at the door and for me to pull a clock would be dumb. I'd rather have nothing than an axe. An axe is more <laughs> trouble. I mean, it'd take you a long time to get it swinging. I was just doing a bunch of heavy weapons training with my SEAL buddy. Uh, I've got some cool video I could show you. Like, how to keep the momentum moving mm-hmm. on heavy weapons, whether it be a pipe or right. an axe or something like that. Right. Yeah, once you get it going, that's fine. But if you're holding it and yeah. you're coming at somebody, like, just step it toward is, it. It is intimidating. Yeah, sure. Yeah. yeah. It's Viking shit. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. He had the long hair too. The yeah, exactly. Fuck. So they just took your shit and, and yeah, yeah. And the cops ended up showing off. up. They said I could write a police report, but they couldn't search the place. 
and I was fucked, man. I was like yeah. pretty much like I had extra spending cash in there too, and my computer and my passport and journals and like, and I had like medicine items from around the world, you know, like bracelets given to me by my now deceased Thai grandfather, uh, and a, 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 a yak horn amulet from a Tibetan monk when I was up in Lowe. Like things that were really important yeah. to me that are totally valueless. Yeah. Um, anyway, so it, it, that did suck, and I, I got to say that it was. Uh, and my motorcycle was broken down. I'd just blown the engine, so like right. money was bad at the moment. Yeah, and I was like proper homeless, like on per, like not on purpose, for for a good little while in the Southwest in Nevada. Well, and you, you, you know, crippled by pride, son of a bitch, wouldn't accept <laughs> any money from anybody, if I remember correctly. <laughs> Yeah, that's exactly right. From your potential benefactor. <laughs> Come on, man. Yeah, I had a lot of people reach out. I just And I set up a, a GoFundMe account and then immediately deleted it. Because as soon as I posted it, I felt bad. Because, like, I'm not really, really in need. I'm kind of on a permanent vacation. My life is amazing. And, like, sometimes things suck. And that really sucked. And, you know, it's yeah. like people can you got to get over money. that, man. Yeah. As I said to you the other day, it's like, because there are people who have received so much... And there, you know, and I'm thinking of myself here, and I'm sure there are a lot of people listening to this who feel the same way. You know, you receive a lot from the world when you're young and you're out and you're vulnerable. And I mean, I've been in situations like that and somebody, you know, bails me out. And, and then, you know, you're at a point in your life where you can pass that on. And, you know, it's not doing anyone a favor. It's just closing yeah. a circuit. Yeah, and yeah. it feels good. I think and, there, there are times when I, and I realize that accepting the gift, like there's a, there's a giving in receiving, you know, like for example, when I visit my mom, she always wants to like take me out to food and to buy me something. Do you need something? I'm yeah. like, I don't need something, but right. like, you know, maybe I'll get another, uh, can I get some, some, I need some new underwear. Right. My two pair need right. to go. Right. And you know, she, to, for her to, to let her buy me underwear makes her so happy. Yeah. Even though I could go buy cheap underwear for five bucks. Right. Um, uh, so yeah, I get that. And and twenty and I, years from now, you're gonna want to be buying underwear for someone else. <laughs> I think that's the moral. It's the moral of the story. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. I've got some underwear for you. It's used. It's used. But you're gonna love it. <laughs> so uh, okay, when we we just took a little break there. Um, we're talking about dirty underwear. Oh, I'm going to give you some dirty underwear. That's cool. Thanks, man. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You know, clean underwear is not hard to come by. <laughs> uh, I have a friend who sells dirty underwear. Makes oh, a lot yeah, of money. Yeah, actually, yeah. I know a couple of girls who do that. Yeah, she was on the podcast. Um, hey, you're, you um, know, that's great. And now we got screaming seagulls. Man. Pull out a mic, and, and everybody in L.A. wants to come around. Hey, you going to make me a star? <laughs> Get out of here. Uh, or he's like, oh, so so you got back on your feet. You got your bike fixed, and yeah, I got the you bike continued fixed. the ride. Uh, uh, yeah, and I basically have been just riding around and exploring the southwest because it's been getting colder, too. And uh, I've been spending a lot of time over on the Chimawabe Indian Reservation. It's, like, really beautiful I just like Indian reservations. I think I grew up with a real fantasy about Native Americans and, right. and all of that, and that influenced me really strongly. And uh, I had a lot of, I've worked, I've done a lot of like Nipi Chinupa ceremonies with a couple shaman from, uh, or not shaman, but medicine men from uh, Lakota tribe. So like, was really kind of a part of that culture to a degree in my teens a lot. And uh, have a, just 
a real love for native people in, in general you know like yeah there's a there's kind of a romanticism I guess I suppose how do they react to you great yeah they yeah. don't see you as naive and silly white guy. No, because I'm guy. not naive anymore. You know, right. like when I was, a, and then when I was a teenager, I was 16 and wide-eyed and wondrous. So, like people, when you're when you're curious about people, genuinely curious about people, they really open up to you. And I feel that that's how it. That's a, it's a real skill as a traveler from making friends, especially mm. when you can't communicate with words. Yeah, you know, it ends up being. Yeah. being but you know, you you sit down how they sit. You eat with your hands how they eat. You don't like be weird about it right. you know uh, and they appreciate that and yeah. you know the, here's and then grandpa pulls out his homemade whiskey yeah. and you drink it and it's like fucking fire and, yeah. and he's waiting for your reaction and you're like whoa <laughs> and then he loves you know then all of a sudden you're best friends yeah. you know yeah. so like I think that that's a real a, a real important skill to not a skill but a quality to travel with that I'm really curious about people in general and, and when I'm here in the states I see, I see LA. Everywhere I go, I see it as a, as a tourist. You know, I can I'm imagining it from the way a native person might see this, and all of these right. people, and, and and some people that might be just total douchebag stereotypes that are really annoying. I see them as like, wow, you're a real person. You're like, I can't believe you exist. You know, yeah. I think that you're only in movies. So I can appreciate that, even though that they might be someone might be really annoying. Yeah. But when you, especially when you visit cultures that there's like a humility in that and yeah. um and uh yeah so it's helped me a lot yeah yeah i think you're right that openness is the key to traveling well not not a judgmental you know uh, the, the, the typical american thing is you know well why don't they speak english why don't they have american food why, well fuck you stay home <laughs> are there really still american people that uh, are like that i know that's yeah. a stereotype but not dude i was I just two hours ago Cassie and I were in Venice looking at an apartment. It's owned by this uh, Canadian guy who's a filmmaker and his Japanese wife. And they have a compound in Venice with four little houses and they rent two of them out as vacation things and the other two are permanently rented. Anyway, we were talking about, um, you know, he said that they like keeping two of them open for vacation uh, rentals because they like having people come through. They, they both traveled their whole lives and now they're older and so they like having this sort of fresh you know, new people to meet and hearing stories and all that kind of, the, you know, the stuff you get when you travel, right? And he said, um, you know, we only, only have two rules. We try never to rent to lawyers or Americans. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> he, said, he said, lawyers, you know, you're just looking for trouble, you know, when lawyers are around. And Americans, um, because they're, they're always complaining, they're always judgmental, they're always, you know, oh, this, can you yeah. do that? And he well, said, we rent to Europeans, they're cool, they're happy. Yeah, yeah. I mean, like, for example, I, I've just been dog-sitting a Great Dane for the last four or five days. Oh, tell people where to see that movie. <laughs> oh, it's on my, I mean, it's on my uh, YouTube page. It's like, I can't even, I don't know my YouTube URL. I just yeah. say search Adventures of Justin. Search Adventures of Justin. It's hilarious. Like, it's, hilarious movie. I'm, I'm maybe not even on the first page. Um, but, uh, yeah, I took this great Dane out for a walk and, uh, the owner takes him out for a walk and he's a, a year old and he's huge. He's 120 pounds. We share a bed. Uh, he will always, he, he runs up to people and the right. only people that freak out are white people. Right. You know, like it's cause it's in a Mexican neighborhood, all the like Mexican people come up and they play with them and, yeah. and, and 
I don't know if it's maybe it's just American white people or what, but it's just such a stereotype. Every time it's true, it's funny. It's like you're so upset that this big yeah. playful dog, and I get it, you know, and I, you know, I try yeah. to try to keep him behaved. But uh, yeah, he's a horse. Yeah, he's a big dog. Yeah, big funny dog. Oh man, he's beautiful eyes, flapping lips. Uh-huh. Yeah, we have an interesting relationship. It's yeah, because like, you've got to have like a certain level of dominance with a big dog, right. a big young dog like that. Yeah, but like also respect. So he's really sensitive. It's cool. Yeah, yeah. It's an interesting relationship. So uh, where are you going from here? Right. Yeah. So uh, I only have my I have my first one. I'm gonna take it booked to the Philippines. We're going to Cebu or Cebu. Uh huh. Um, To just go. You say we? You're traveling with someone? No, it it meant me. Oh. (laughs) Um, uh, Yeah. So I'm gonna be there for maybe three weeks, and I'm gonna go visit my adopted Thai family up in northern Thailand my little brother is going to become a monk on November 2nd so I'm going to spend some time out in the village with family then be in Thailand for a little bit and I don't know what I'm going to do either go down to the islands or explore the north more um, maybe do some motorcycling and then uh, my the real thing that I'm looking forward to is getting into India I'm going to get another Enfield and just explore India you have any, any idea where? yeah or? generally I, I'm really I've, I've seen a bunch of documentaries recently and I really like uh the west and the north. I love the Himalayas. Right. I want to ride over the highest highway in the world, or the highest pass. Up to, to the Manali Lay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I want to do that, and that's I got to do that when there's like a good two months that's perfect timing. Otherwise, yeah. I want to be. It's hard to get up there now, I think, because of the fighting in Kashmir. Oh, really? Yeah, Srinagar has been closed. So maybe off. getting up into Pakistan is not so good. Uh-uh. Nah. Uh No. But anyway, Maybe. I'm gonna go up in Nepal. Know. I've got to, I've got like kind of a family there. I've got right. like a brother that I want to take out and do some trekking into like a real remote area. And yeah. he's Nepali. He's like, uh, yeah, we've been friends since 2006. It was real, really family. And um, go out and like get out somewhere really far. No tour guides, no trekker trail, but go visit like some like really out there areas in Nepal. And probably go there for maybe two months in the summer. Ride the Enfield up into Nepal, and then. Mm. Um, I Have you been wanna... to Chitwan? No, that's, I, that's a all over in the place. west, right? Well, south. South. It's it's okay. yeah, it's in the flat sort of uh, savannas of is, southern. Oh, Nepal. so is it? It's it's not jungle. Uh, it's uh, forested, and I wouldn't say it was jungle. No, it's there are tigers there. Yeah, yeah. And you can go back on elephants, but it to, it reminded me of Africa. Really? It's like flat sort of you know patches of forest and grasslands really cool it's fantastic yeah it would be great on a motorcycle yeah so maybe me and him will just take off for maybe three weeks and go yeah because he's been wanting to go on a trek with me last last summer I was there we couldn't do it if you're there in the winter in in India in the winter Rajasthan is really great yeah yeah well I I think I can do six months I can be in for six months so I might have to leave and come back if I really love it yeah Um, but definitely the west in general and the deserts, and I've seen some documentaries on these gypsies that live out there. Ah, right uh, have you seen that? That like a traveler did. Uh, was it the snake gypsies? Yeah. Yes, I did, and yeah. I want to go there. That was amazing. It, it was, was really good. It was all Rajasthan. Yeah, yeah, and that was really well done. And that's it was. like really and great. And it was a guy like you. It was yeah, just a guy with a camera. Yeah. yeah, and I and like that's that's a lot of work to do something like that on purpose. Yeah. So what I'm doing is pretty easy because I'm basically just capturing what I think is beautiful. Right. 
and like that was uh, information. I, yeah, yeah. So it's uh, it's more of a, along the lines of Baraka, Ashes and Snow, I suppose. Yeah. yeah. Um, I don't remember who. Someone sent me a link to that. You know, someone who listens to the podcast, or maybe it was even you. I, I don't remember to, who it was. The, to snake the, the Snake Gypsies. I put it on my Facebook, and I might have told you about maybe it. Maybe it was you. That was yeah. really good. Yeah. I, I enjoyed that a lot. And then he did something else. He did the honey. Was that the same guy who did oh, the, the hallucinogenic, hallucinogenic honey? honey in the I don't know. I haven't. Uh, I think it might have been. Or at least it was like related on YouTube somehow because okay. I went from one to the other. Uh-huh. That was fascinating too. Yeah. Those guys who uh, hang from the cliffs and collect that honey. Yeah, yeah. So anyone listening to this who's who's interested in following up, just on YouTube. That's good. Okay. All right. We're worried about the wind here. Uh, hallucinogenic honey hunters or something like that. That's on YouTube. And then the snake gypsy guy. Snake that was really snake, well yeah. done. Yeah. yeah. And I love that kind of thing. I mean, I would love to go... Uh, I want to experience... I want to see some different things in India. You know, I'm not really... I don't want to go and just live in an ashram and just do the Goa scene and just, right. like, hang with it. I want to see it. Yeah. I want to experience it. I want to make friends. I want yeah. to, like... Uh, it's very interesting to me. But, I, but I'm really curious about people that are kind of a little bit still untouched by time, especially Western. Right. Um, because it's so different. Are you thinking about going to Burma at all? Uh, yeah, I've thought about it. And I could maybe go overland from Thailand if I wasn't going to go to Bali. But I just have a bunch of friends that are going to be in Bali in March. And, you know, like, to go hang out with a bunch of buddies and go motorcycle camping for two weeks or something sounds pretty awesome. Even though I'm not a huge fan of Bali. Yeah. Um, well, you get a round trip from Bangkok to Bali for 150 bucks Yeah, or but then I'm also thinking time-wise, um, I kind of want to get to India before it gets real hot. Uh, like, I don't want to be arrive in April. Yeah. Anyway, so I mean, these are just ideas. I don't really know timelines yet. Yeah. Uh, because I like to be open to something popping up at the last minute and being right. like, "Oh, I'm gonna do that instead." Yeah. yeah. But generally, that's the idea to work. I might go overland through Burma. Right. Um, I, I looked into riding a motorcycle to India from Thailand, and I've heard conflicting uh, accounts about passable road right. or legality or taking taking motorcycles yeah. across certain borders right, right so i was like i'll just get to india buy a motorcycle and then i've got the whole india in nepal that's probably easier a lot of people do that so it's pretty well yeah yeah, yeah. well established well listen uh we got to get back and pick up my wife so we're gonna we're gonna stop it here but i'm looking forward to following the adventures of justin on Instagram and YouTube and uh, wherever the fuck else I yeah, can do it. Adventuresofjustin.com is a blog that has like five posts. <laughs> but they're all good, I think. <laughs> there are five good posts. Yeah, one a year. Yeah. Come hell or high water. All right, thanks, man. Yeah, right on. Check, check, check. Check, check. Hey, hey. All right, I'm in Chiang Mai, Thailand with Adventures of Justin. And this is an addendum we're going to do, right? So this is like a part two to our earlier conversation, which neither of us can remember. (laughs) And it would be way too professional to listen to the whole thing and figure out what it was that we talked about in L.A. I remember we were on the beach. Yeah. We, like, wandered around looking for a good place to talk. And we were in the same area of Venice where I had recorded a podcast with Jonathan... What's his name? Leg. Leg who has a TV show, and then it, and I mentioned something about that, and you're like, oh, I know that guy. Yeah. How, and you know him independent know of him me, right? through Facebook. We ended up meeting, but uh, I think I had posted on my Facebook five months ago. 
if they, uh, anyone could introduce me to um, you know, other adventure travelers that might want to team up and do some fun projects together. And he was one that was tagged on my Facebook. So uh, he and I ended up talking, and then we've hung out a couple times now in Venice. Right. Uh, around in L.A. Interesting guy. I, yeah. I enjoyed meeting him. He's got a lot of great stories. He's yeah. A re- he's got a real... Um, He's got a real character. He's a real character, that's for sure. Yeah, you know? yeah. So anyone who's interested in, in hearing about Jonathan, uh, check the archives. I have no idea what episode yeah, it was. Yeah, it's, it's after mine. Yeah, one forty-three. I think one. Uh, it's like is it the Road somewhere. Less Traveled? Is that his? Site? Yeah, the name the of the Road Less Traveled. The show is the Road Less Traveled. I think it's a National Geographic Channel something like or that. something or Discovery Channel. Yeah, he's sort of uh, adventure traveler type guy. Since we've been in Thailand, I've. Uh, by the way, we didn't. We aren't traveling together. We just sort of met up here. You happen to be in Thailand for your brother's monkhood ceremony. Monkhood, yeah. 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 And you were a monk. Yeah. Um, it's uh, the story is uh, in 2007. Uh, end of 2006 was the first time I came solo to Thailand. And um, it's actually the story is a little bit more about how I was adopted into a Thai family than right. the monk thing. I didn't right. come here to become a monk, and I wasn't coming right. here to speak to seek spirituality or anything. But I had previously spent the summer in Nepal, and really, really loved the the form of Buddhism that I saw there up in the mountains, like uh, visiting monasteries and hanging out with these very peaceful red-robed monks and sitting up in the mornings while they're reading their mantras by mm. the candle and. Right. Um, I had a, a, a big curiosity about uh, that form of Buddhism, and I went back to the U.S. and studied a bunch, and was, um, you know, was reading a lot of books and learning a lot and doing a lot of meditation. When I got to Thailand, I was kickboxing, and I broke my foot in my first fights, and I wasn't able to train anymore, and I was kind of bummed out about it because that's why I came here. And uh, I ended up meeting a Thai guy who's my age, and um, he was like, "Well, I know, I know you're, you're bummed out because you can't train, but I'm." I'm going to take a bus a few hours away out into rural, you know, the province down south of Chiang Mai and visit my family. If you want to see what real Thai life is like, this would be a great opportunity. And oh, I said, well, man. hell yes. Yeah. <laughs> um, so I did that and, um, and showed up around the end of 2006 in like December. And I can speak enough Thai to be charming. You know, I think that there's a lot to that. I can be, you know, being very polite, being able to tell them that their food is delicious, and you know, I think there's some other tricks, um, not tricks, but habits that that uh, help that really help garner the friendship of locals. But uh, his family really, really liked me. And one, uh, one night, we're sitting around as we would in the, the by a fire in the backyard, and like grandfather and grandmother and uncle and auntie and a couple cousins and brother and mom and dad and I were all sitting around a fire grilling pork and drinking Leo beers and I was asking him about uh, Thai Buddhism and he said that traditionally all Thai males become a monk it's it's like uh, and what it is is good luck for the family it's kind of like good karma I was told that if the son becomes a monk then the mother and father are assured to go to heaven so it's like a big deal. And I asked him, I said, well, have you done that? Have you or Noom done this? He said, no, you know, it's not as popular anymore and you just don't really want to. And I was like, man, if that, if that was a part of my culture, I would definitely do that because that would be so interesting. Um, very curious about it. And that was about, that was the end of the conversation. And, you know, no one else in the family understood what I was saying because I don't speak English. And the next morning he came up to me and said, uh, I had to talk to mom and dad about, about what you said last night. And they said, they want to adopt you and then you can become a monk, and then that'll be a blessing on the family. And I'm like, <laughs> and it'll get me whoa. and my brother out of it. I was like, whoa, man, uh, you can't really say no to that. 
and <laughs> that's hilarious. That's hilarious. It's like, hey, mom and dad, I, you know, I want to get you into heaven, but I just really don't want to do the monk thing. But I got this surrogate. It's kind of like how they hired guys to go to the Civil War. You know about that? Wow. In the American Civil War, you did. If you got drafted, which pretty much everyone did, you didn't actually have to show up. You could hire somebody to go in your, as long as they had a body, they were fine, right? So you could hire, if you had some money, you could hire somebody to go. So it was a monk stunt, stunt double. You were, yeah, you were a stand-in, a monk stand-in. <laughs> um, so I just had to, there was a bunch of stuff I had to learn. I actually became the monk on, uh, January 1st of 2007 and there's a whole very long story about it I might write a blog post about it at some point but uh, I had to learn all of these blessings in Pali which is the language that Buddha spoke it's right. kind of like a dead language like Latin right. and, you know the monks pray in Latin uh, and it was a huge production and uh, anyway so I just came back to Thailand because finally my youngest brother Noom was becoming a monk um. since I became a monk Grandmother, grandfather died. Great auntie, great uncle, and father all passed away. Wow. And it was kind. It was while I was a monk. Um, my Thai dad told uh, his wife that he w he was had dreams that Noom would become a monk someday. And he passed away uh, fairly recently. And uh, this was a, a really big deal that he was becoming a monk. So I came to Thailand for this, and brother flew up from Australia. And it was, you know, it was huge. Over 100, maybe 150 people, almost everyone from the village and all of his friends and everyone mm. showed up. And it's two days of ceremony. And obviously the family is quite emotional about it because, you know, dad was very present in everyone's mind. Um, is it retroactive? Well, I don't know. The, the, the Thai king became a monk. You see photos of, of the king as a monk. He was yeah. a monk for two weeks after his grandmother died. Ah, so maybe. Must be. Yeah. yeah. Wow. But I, I got lots of photos and I, I got lots of video and I might put together a short uh, thing for a blog and YouTube. Uh, I, I had a bunch of photos from when I was a monk and videos, you know, of us walking the village with the bowls. But uh, I lost my camera like a week before leaving Thailand for my first trip. So I lost all my photos and video from the monk thing and also from Fuck my first dude. kickboxing fight. You know, my first match. Have you not heard of the cloud? This was in 2006. This is pre-cloud? Probably. Yeah, but you were just telling me I'm about still it. making these mistakes. I know. I was, that's what I was going to say. I was going to give you shit about your, your camera loss in Reno. Well, yeah. So the, well, the, the thing is, is that all my stuff was backed up. I think I have some photos on the cloud somewhere, either on, uh, I think it's on Dropbox. But I've got a, a lot of stuff that was on my computer, not in iCloud. So I was on my computer that was also backed up to a hard drive which was also in my bag that was stolen yeah. with the camera and all yeah. of that shit. So I ended up losing a bunch of stuff yeah. that I have been whining about since then. Well, that sucks, man. I mean, you know, we try as travelers being on the road, you try not to get attached to things, but those things are the ones that really hurt. Yes. Yeah, yeah I lost a, a journal once that I've been writing in for two years, mm -hmm. you know, on the road in Guatemala yeah. and all this stuff. and. <clears throat> It's like, come on! If somebody stole it, it's like that. That's it's totally to worthless. You, dude. To You're throwing that yeah. in the garbage. You yeah. know. I tried to buy it back from them, but they were skinheads and they were really uh, very aggressive. They didn't. They they got really angry that I tried to buy it back. 
Hmm. I think just the acknowledgement that I knew they had stolen it, you hmm. know, when they'd stolen it right in the middle of Plaza Royale in Barcelona, there were probably a hundred people watching them do it. I had my bag between my feet and they went under the bench and slid it between my feet back and I didn't notice. I was eating a sandwich and talking with this guy and like But you got their asses kicked, right? This is the Oh yeah, yeah I you told, told you that story. story. The first the first one. Oh, uh oh. Uh oh. <laughs> Rewind. Re repeat. <laughs> there should be an alarm that goes off in my little Zoom recorder, like, hey old man, you're repeating yourself. Beep, 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 beep. Um, yeah, so we're sitting in Thailand. We're on the terrace of a fancy uh, hotel. This is a big change for me because when I've traveled in Asia before, I've always been very frugal, you know, not staying in dorm rooms quite, but I would get the cheapest single room, bathroom down the hall kind of thing. And this time with Casilda, um, largely thanks to you podcast listeners, shout out to the podcast listeners. We're making a little money from the podcast, which... Um, you know, in, in the U.S. wouldn't amount to a hill of beans, but in Thailand allows us to get the fancy air-conditioned room with a terrace. Yeah. So here we are in the tangentially speaking terrace looking out over the rooftops of Chiang Mai. Uh, for those of you who are into uh, thinking about traveling, this room is, what did we say it was, 1,300 baht? It's about 40 bucks. 40 bucks a night, yeah. Yeah. Which, you know, won't get you a Motel 6 flea bag nope. in Reno, nope. but here it gets you a special aircon penthouse room with a terrace so think about that if you got some money in the bank yeah Come and then if you don't have that much you can stay downstairs where i'm staying in the fan room for uh, 300 baht which is a little less than 10 bucks 10 bucks yeah yeah it's private so room. it's real folks it's real you can travel if you can get your ass to southeast asia and we were staying up in pie a few days ago beautiful little mm -hmm. bungalows uh for 450 baht which is 1500 or 15 dollars um, really nice and that's for two people if you're traveling with a you know, partner or something so yeah you can still travel very cheaply in Thailand and there are places like Indonesia Nepal India yeah, much cheaper much cheaper yes yeah. so that's the trick get yourself a big chunk of time so that the you can amortize the cost of the ticket over the year you're over here and right, it, right. it ends up being a cheap experience so uh, so how many times have you been to Thailand been coming here for 10 years and I think probably eight or nine or ten times yeah the, there's been a couple times where it's been a year and a half or two years since I've visited but I've also visited twice in a year and generally the shortest time has been two weeks and the longest has been three months right is it your would you say it's your favorite country yeah well it's, it feels like a home it feels like home to me any place that I right. recognize and know how to get around and can speak the language and it's like it's familiar, so yeah. it feels like home. Yeah. It's it's my favorite for a lot of things because of the my favorite countries are are based on the experiences I have there and the people I know. Right. So when I make a deep connection, like I really love Japan because I was there in a rock band and I was there uh, with in a, in a relationship that was just incredible. So all my experiences of Tokyo have been just peak life moments. So of course I love Tokyo. Right. Um, but uh, Thailand is definitely one. Nepal is another. Another one that is really close to my heart. Yeah, Nepal's lovely. Yeah, I loved. It. I've only been there once, and it was a long time ago. But I had a really good feeling about the place, and just the, just the mountains are just mm -hmm. so amazing, otherworldly. You can't believe how big those mountains are, and they're just always there. Mm -hmm. you know? 
Yeah, it's pretty cool. Yeah, when I went up to, when I was up in the Kingdom of Lo, uh, there's one point, and I've got some pictures on the blog, there's one point where you, you can't really tell, but down below, I'm basically standing above a slightly less grand Grand Canyon type thing. And then you turn around and behind you, you've still, you've got another four or 5,000 feet of mountain right. right behind you. And you're already at 11, 12,000 feet, right. you know? And yeah. it's like, oh my gosh, it's the, the, the scale, the scale of yeah. everything. Yeah. And you're out there, a full day's walk between villages. It's either just you or just you and a guide and nothing, Yeah, you know? Have you been to Pakistan? No, it's really hard to get in. I have to go mm. to the U.S. to get a visa, and mm. I don't really plan to go to the U.S. at all this year. So yeah. apparently Iran is the same thing, I just found out, which sucks. My buddy Viram, who mm -hmm. maybe you'll meet, who lives in southern Thailand, uh, he, he did, he's done so many crazy adventures, but one of them, and by the way, folks, I'm going to try to get Viram to sit down for a podcast. I don't know if he'll agree to it or not, uh, but he's... He agreed to let me show that photograph of him in a speedo with his big balls uh, in my TED. Well, I tried to show it on my TED talk, and they wouldn't let me. But I've shown it so many other places. It's it's online. So if you ever see me doing my sex of dawn spiel, and there's a picture of a guy uh, between a bonobo and a gorilla, <laughs> that's him. Did I tell you that story? You did tell me. You did tell me. He actually saw it and online. Like, Whoa, what the He's fuck? Like, hey, dude, what are you doing? <laughs> <laughs> um, anyway, he one time rent or bought didn't rent. He bought um, a donkey in Pakistan, and he and his donkey walked for like four months or something through the Himalayas. What? Yeah, and there was a huge mudslide, and uh, where he was, and 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 there were like gunfights, and I, I I can't remember all the details of the story, but. Um, he was out in the middle of nowhere and there was this massive mudslide that just wiped out the, the road that he was walking on and he would have had to walk like through the mud and it was just this nightmare and um, the president of Pakistan flew in in a helicopter to this little village where he was trapped and um, and I guess he saw Viram sitting there you know when he was doing his little press conference or whatever and like, oh, a foreigner, you want to ride out? And he's like, uh, yeah. <laughs> so he like, gave the, the donkey to somebody and jumped on the helicopter and wow. flew out. Yeah, That's cool, man. Yeah. Wow. Renting a donkey and exploring Pakistan for four months. Pretty cool, that huh? That sounds incredible. Just walking along with your donkey, you know, because you don't, you don't have to carry all your shit. Yeah. You know? It's it, like riding a... a a really stubborn motorcycle. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. <laughs> stubborn. Yeah. I Almost as stubborn as my infield. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, really. You, you would have been better off on a donkey. Maybe. Man. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know, man. That That's where you and I part, part ways. I mean, I'm all, I'm down with you on the long motorcycle trips and all that, but I would be getting the easiest to fix motorcycle. The most reliable, no bullshit. I yeah, don't give like a, a fuck what it looks dual like. Sport BMW. Either a BMW that's K10. super reliable or like a you know, a typical Honda, whatever, that you can get fixed in any town you know, you happen to be in. You know, easy easy replacement parts. Yeah, I think well Bukowski has a quote that I really like. He says, Now to do something dangerous with style, that's what I call art. 
I like that. Yeah, he was an alcoholic who vomited. <laughs> yeah, his idea of a good time yep. was like you know having sex with a whore and then vomiting off the edge of the bed. Okay, that's Bukowski. That's okay, what I know okay. of Bukowski. Okay. Have you read his stuff? Yes, yeah, 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 yeah. Of course, guy. of course. But there's something about his raw honesty that's awesome. Yeah. Yeah, he's unapologetic. Unapologetic about his vices. He's a really raw dude and a great writer. Some of his stuff I, I found to be good, and a lot of it I found to be just masturbatory. Sure. Drock. Sure. I that's mean, that's a good I, quote. I like it. Yeah, it's a good quote. Yeah, I like to doing do something so, unique. To do something yeah. your own way. Because there's a bunch of people riding motorcycles around yeah. the U.S., but like I have this. I mean, I saw the Motorcycle Diaries. Right. Uh, that was really a big inspiration for this film. What were they riding? Uh, motorcycle Diaries was the Che Guevara. Yeah. Um, it was a movie. Uh, and I can't remember the name of the actor, but he's incredible. Oh, he's um, a really, really good actor. Bern, Bernal... Something. Spanish, right? He's a Spanish guy. He's Mexican. Oh, is he Mexican? Yeah, he was in uh, he was uh, in a great film called Y Tu Mama Tambien. Yes, yes. One of my favorite movies of all time, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, in English, that would be And Your Mother Too, which, <laughs> I don't know, it doesn't really translate quite the same way, but it's kind of like... Yeah, and, and your mother, you know, it's that kind of thing. And but it's a beautiful too. film about about growing up and sexuality and yeah. lies and truth and oh, what a, one of the most beautiful movies ever made. Um, but I like the romance of the. I, I like. I think I mentioned this before, but I really love traveling for the feeling of stepping back in time. Right. And there's something romantic about riding around on an old motorcycle. I'm gonna get a really an old used one for maybe five, six hundred bucks in Nepal, right. and ride around in Nepal, and pr and then from there I'm getting a six month visa and hang down into India. And I want to see. No, there it makes sense. It to does because that's the standard. Cheap yeah. to repair. Right, and, and everybody every, knows yeah, how. Anyone that yeah. knows how to turn a wrench has the parts right. that you need. Whereas in the states. It was very, very expensive to maintain that motorcycle. Yeah. And a huge pain in the ass. Anytime something broke, it was a week's wait of me sitting in some shitty, very typical, boring American West Town where there's nothing going on. Right. You know, so it's like, what do you do? You climb up some, climb up a water tower and take photos at night, you know? Right. Right. Yeah. Yeah. That's rough. So, uh, how many times did you put it down on your uh, 18,000 miles? Uh, I probably dropped it. Four or five times, but I've never had. I've never, never gone fast. It's always just been gravel. It's always been taking turns on gravel yeah. or taking a turn where you don't see gravel. Uh, it's dusty and gravel, right, and you're taking right. a sharp turn. I put it down it. in. Uh, mm. I put it down in Idaho on a gravel road. I was out in the middle of nowhere, like good 50 miles of gravel roads to the nearest paved road. Whew. And uh, I wasn't wearing a helmet or a shirt, but luckily I had leather gloves on, yeah. or I would have been fucks because you mess yeah. your hands up that's yeah. bad that's bad and gravel will just get in there i was probably going about 20 standing up on the pegs of my motorcycle like as I do, you do as i do were your, did you have your hands on the wheel yeah, of course i did <laughs> what do you mean of course you did i should mention that we just rented motors i rented a motorcycle uh justin has one lent from his thai family and we rode up to pi which is, what did we say that was, about a three and a half hour ride, something like yeah, that? Yeah, if you ride straight, probably three and a half, four hours. Yeah, up a very winding road through the mountains beautiful. and all that. Wow. Beautiful. Um, but I was missing gloves. Yep. You know, both for the vibrational thing and just that sense of safety, that mm -hmm. if you go down, the first thing that hits is your hand. Yeah. And 
I did drop the bike. I should admit. <laughs> I should admit now that I've gotten my deposit back. <laughs> <laughs> a little super glue. <laughs> a little super glue. glue. Yeah, it was a very minor thing, making a very tight turn, and the weight shifted. Cassie was on the back, and I couldn't quite hold it you up. You practically stopped. Yeah. I took a turn on a super steep road because I took a sharp U-turn to yeah. grab some to buy some fruit at a fruit stand. Right. Yeah, yeah it's all your fault. That's right. <laughs> I That's felt. Right. I felt bad. This this thing I'm sitting on is making lots of noise. Is um, it on this one? Yeah, let me try. Come over here with you. <coughs> All right, ladies and gentlemen, we're adjusting the seating configuration for your listening pleasure. Um, anyway, what are we talking about? Motorcycles. Down, yeah. Oh yeah. So you put it down four or five times in eighteen thousand miles, but. All, all, all minor. And you dropped that one, and luckily it started right up. And yes, you yes. Going. It was my choice between dropping it or going over like a 10-foot cliff down into a creek, which would have been really bad. You never even get the bike back up. No, no way, it. no way. Yeah. Yeah, well, what would have happened if, if like, you know, something, it had broken the, and you couldn't start it? If I couldn't, uh, it's happened many times where it's taken me hours to start it. Yeah, and I'll just kind of keep at it and trying different things and keep troubleshooting. If eventually it wouldn't start, I would have just parked it in the woods because it's camouflaged. I blacked out all the chrome and it's army green, so I could hide it very easily. I would have just stashed it, made sure I remember where it was, taken my camping gear on my back or whatever I need for a day or two, and then it just walked out, got into a road. And you said it was like 40 miles to a... Probably 50 miles to a paved road. And so that's like a two-day walk to the yes, paved Yes, it would have been long. It would have been shitty. But yeah. it's, I mean, I had, I had, I would stuff for camping, so it's, you know. Yeah, you had a tent and stuff. I had, uh, yeah, that, then I did have a tent. I never used, I used the tent probably six or seven times. Yeah. I almost never used it. it any, because the West was in a drought this year, and I, I barely ever hit rain, so I just sleep under the stars. Right. Now I've got a camping hammock, which takes up much less space and is great for the jungle. So you had you've you've slept in some bizarre places. You just showed me a picture of where you were sleeping on the strip in Vegas. I slept. I spent one night on the strip after. <laughs> yeah, because when I go into a city, I want to be around people. I go to yeah. a nightclub. I drink right. a bunch of beers and go dancing, and, and then, then I stumble out at three in the morning, yeah. and I'm like, I've got my backpack, and my knife, and my you know, things I don't want to be found when I uh, go, have to go in through the metal detectors to get into a nightclub. I stash that in my bags, in like a little blind spot where no one's going to find them and then uh, go out, grab my bags, and then hide in the same kind of place, like just dead space, you know, where someone is looking directly at something, so they see that, but they don't see what's just next to it in the shadow. Yeah, like a lit sign, yeah. and behind it, there's a little shrub and bushes that, you can get in. Yeah, yeah. so I stayed yeah. there a lot. Sleeping on the ground in around people is not very safe, generally, and sometimes I snore. So oh. that's really bad. <laughs> snoring ninja. It's a fucking liability. I'm telling you. That's hilarious. So I that should, on, that should be the name of your blog. The snoring like, ninja. By the God. way, for people who, who don't know, the blog is called The Adventures of Justin. No, Adventures of Justin. Adventures yeah. of Justin dot com. But yeah. I think the snoring ninja is where it's at. <laughs> that's that's. Perfect. But on the ground is dangerous yeah. because people can just take your shit well, and you're or they, yeah, they can kill you. A crazy, methed yeah. out, psycho, homeless person can take your shit and you know, step on your face. So I climb up buildings and sleep on rooftops. That's pretty better. standard. Oh, it's, it's great. I've never been found. You just have to be really, really, really 
careful on entry and exit. Exit not so much because you're getting off. Yeah. But if someone sees you go up there or sees the you moving around, they call the cops and then yeah, you know, it's going to be a problem. Like a thief. Yes, yeah. of course. Yeah. Although if you're lying out in your sleeping bag, if the cops aren't assholes, they'll right. give it a benefit. Right, but they'll the probably doubt. search me, and I don't want to be searched by cops. Right, right. I was hitchhiking one time, and uh, I don't remember. I think I, I think I got a ride from a truck driver, and he pulled over to sleep in a rest stop, and I went off, and he was going to, you know, we were continue when he woke up, and I went off and you know pulled into some bushes somewhere off uh, near the rest stop and I woke up with this like water I thought it was raining mm -hmm. and I woke up because there's water splashing on my face it was someone taking a piss they had just walked off into the bushes to take a piss and they didn't see me there wow <laughs> and they're pissing on a rock near my head and it was splashing on my face that's pretty ninja to be honest I got pissed on before sneaking up on parties in the woods that's like that's uh, like a major really? coup if someone comes up and Right. Rips it out and pisses on you. That means you're really invisible. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah that's this is a good spot. Yeah. So, so how'd you get into the ninja stuff? Did we talk about this? Do you know? Um, no, I don't think so. Yeah. It's a uh, my idea of because the American Indian yeah. warrior and the ninja are very they, similar. They, yeah, the my heroes. One of my major heroes as a youth was a guy called Stalking Wolf. Um, and if you read any of Tom Brown's books, he's a survivalist who has a survival school in New Jersey. I read all of his books when I was about, started reading when I was 10, and his mentor was an Apache scout and medicine man, and he was an elder. And the, story about, the stories about the scouts were that they were the eyes and the ears of the people. So they would go out and find uh, other raiding parties and could try, or, or, uh, you know, and let people know where there's danger. Right. So they had to be invisible right. and they had to be able to go where others couldn't. So they trained from a young age to be able to run a hundred miles. You know, like you hear the stories about these Tarahumara guys who just basically go and go. So they were hard, very skilled people who were just like kind of on the edge of society they right. were the shadows right and you know they'd go out and find where the game was and then come back and tell the hunter so they weren't the warriors they weren't the samurai you know they were the ones who would gather information and for that they had to have a very highly specific set of skills that enabled them to blend in and live where no one else could to be right. like an animal right. so that was that played a big role in me growing up, and then of course I was into ninja. You know, ninjas became a big thing in the '80s when I was growing up. It became very popular, but I, I'm not into ninjutsu or the martial art. And I think that that's what most people think of. They think of like these assassins who do these crazy moves, and they're kind of mytho mythological, and they can become crows and all of this stuff or disappear. Right. Um, and it's not so much the fighting and killing parts that I that I'm into. It's more of uh, the ability, the, those skills and abilities. Right. Um, you know, I, I really wanted to be like a nature ninja growing up. And so, yeah, I went, to, I dropped out of high school and went to this uh, place called the Wilderness Awareness School up in Western Washington. And there I learned a bunch of naturalist skills, survival skills, and we would regularly cover ourselves with mud and play hide and seek and play all these like sneaking right. games. And you know, I was constantly the guy that I would walk up ahead of everyone else and then hide along the trail and try and touch people as they walked by without them noticing or just above their heads or like finding the spots where I could blend in. Right. Um, so it was always like, oh crap, where's Justin? <laughs> kind of thing. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah, and do you ever see a film called, or a TV show called Kung Fu? Oh, with David Carradine? Yeah. Yes, yeah. Because that, I mean, I grew, that's before your time, but I, I grew I saw up with a too. lot of that. 
Um, yeah. and, and he's really exemplified that connection, the, the sort of similarity between the, the Native American warrior and the martial arts, you mm-hmm. know, the discipline, the dignity, the silence, the protecting the mm-hmm. weak, the, the being able to, you know, sort of disappear and the, the great physical mm-hmm. training and all that. Yeah. I love that fucking show. Yeah. Have you ever seen Circle of Iron? No. It's, it was a cult classic in the 80s, also with David Carradine, and he plays a very similar character. He was a blind martial artist who carried a long staff, and it was a flute, and he would play this flute, and this guy, uh, he was the mentor for this young warrior who was trying to find this, I can't remember, it was like the most sacred uh, book or something like that. It, it, was, it was a very good movie, but antiquated for sure but he was a, a cool hero I remember uh, he would say things like the guy I think his name was Kor he's trying to catch these fish and you'd hear him standing over the side and say something like that Yoda would say like you can't step twice on the same piece of water like that you know it's <laughs> like what the fuck does that mean you know like the river is always changing everything yeah, yeah. but uh, I, I like that kind of stuff that, that mysticism living in nature the wanderer poets monk right, ninja right. dude unfortunately you know, at least in the case of David Carradine, the guy was full of shit. I mean, that role, I mean, the whole move, the, the TV Fu. show. Yeah, the TV yeah, show Bruce was, Lee. was Bruce Lee's creation, and I they know. wouldn't let him do it because he sucks. was too Asian. That sucks. The fuck is that? He would have been great. And then David Carradine goes on to die right here in Thailand. <laughs> do you remember how he died? Yeah, with a belt around his neck. Yeah, jerking off. Yeah. Uh, auto asphyxiation. Auto, yeah, asphyxiation. Yeah, well, it's really embarrassing. I got to say, it is embarrassing like as a guy who you know. It, I mean, I know it was a role and all that, but he did train. Yeah, and he, well, he 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 definitely <laughs> seemed to take on that character, like who he was as a person. You know, I think he was really into spirituality and Eastern mysticism and stuff like that. Yeah, Just, I, I don't know, but he was also wasn't he a junkie? Was he a heroin addict? Maybe. Yeah, um, his brother's still around and still acting. He was in Deadwood. He played um, uh, Keith Keith Carradine. I think his name is. He played uh, Wild Bill in Deadwood. Huh. Did you ever see Deadwood? Is that a movie? It's a. It was a TV series on HBO. I think they only did one season and then mm. they pulled it, or maybe two seasons. Um, but it's like like the movie you mentioned. It was a cult classic. It, it was. Uh, Really interesting film. Anyone out there who's into westerns should check out mm. Deadwood. Uh, it was, it was great. Uh, they, it, it was a frontier town just when in the in the Black Hills, huh. um, when the Black Hills were still by law belonged to the Lakota, Lakota but they had discovered gold, so mm-hmm. people were going in, and they so they were officially outside of the U.S., so there was no law, right. And so they were all just sort of figuring it out, and it was basically ruled by this guy named Swearingen, who owned the saloon, and he had his henchmen, and there was all this stuff going on. Really, oh man, great, great TV show. Very gritty and felt like the real thing. Anyway, um, I, I, I'm, I'm sort of uh, stymied because I don't want to talk about things we already talked about. And this is just an addendum, so we don't need to do a full 90 minutes. <laughs> right, right. Um, briefly, your plans are from Thailand, you're going to... Pa- I, I don't know for Nepal. sure, but it's possible yeah. that I might go to Laos. Oh, wait, you, you were just in the Philippines. Talk about that oh, a yeah, little bit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, uh, before I came to Thailand, I wanted to go to a place I had never been. And through Instagram, I saw some in- just incredible canyoneering photographs uh, and some just beautiful blue waters. So I, I went to the Philippines and I went to a place called... Uh, 
Alegria or Alegria um, uh, on the southwest coast. And I really recommend if anyone sees my photos and wants to go there, it's worth it. Mm. Um, uh, spent uh, a day doing a canyoneering thing. You have to like hire a guide and wear a stupid helmet and all this stuff. And after about halfway through, I convinced him that I, I didn't need a, a helmet or, or a flotation device or shoes. And um, was able, you basically, it's four, maybe four hours of just kind of fall, uh, swimming through a river and then jumping off the wa waterfalls or off the rocks. And most of them are like 10 foot jumps, you know, 15 foot uh -huh. jumps, but really nice. And the water is, because it's all limestone, the water has this oh, impossibly yeah. blue yeah. color and very clear. And the jungle is, it's a mature old growth jungle. So there's mm. giant teak trees and bamboo the size of your leg. Mm. And it's just, and <laughs> phone call. All right, ladies and gentlemen, we're back. That was Casilda, who has just come back from having a, a hose put up her ass, uh, colonic irrigation. She had one last week, and she loved it. <laughs> loved it so much that she has convinced me to undergo the same procedure. I'm supposed to do it tomorrow morning at 11 o'clock, so if you never hear from me again, or if I sound distinctly different next time you do hear from me, it's because of that. I don't know. I'm not. I'm. I'm. I, people swear by that stuff, but uh, I'll. I'll get back to you. On that. <laughs> anyway, she came back. This is one thing about Thailand. Um, in addition to the hotels being cheap and the food being fantastic and the people being really nice and the mangoes being incomparable, uh, there are all sorts of um, therapeutic. Uh, procedures that are available here of a very high quality and a low cost so massages and uh, colonic irrigations and now she's on her way to a place where she puts her feet into aquariums essentially full of little fish that will nibble at her toes yeah it's kind of like a a piranha well yeah I guess they eat your dead skin but doesn't that just make your feet softer which some people might want really soft feet but if you want to be able to go barefoot that's like murder. yeah yeah, that's the opposite of what I want. I went, I went <laughs> want fish to, like, you know, puke on my feet and make stronger. Yeah. Anyway, so that's where she is. So you uh, were talking about the Philippines, uh, yeah. Alegria, which yeah. means happiness. Right, right. Old growth forest, beautiful teak and bamboo, and yeah, you're slip sliding away. Great waterfalls for jumping. Um, uh, after how, that, hard, how hard is it to get to this place? Not hard. So you land in uh, Cebu City, and then you can take, a, it's like a most of a day little shuttle. I don't know, five, six, seven hours in, mm. a, in a little bus, a little local bus. And is the Philippines comparable to Thailand price-wise? There's a lot. Uh, yeah, yeah. There's a, like Thailand, it can be expensive depending on where you go and how you want to live. Right. But uh, it's very comparable to Thailand. It's, uh, but it's Catholic or Christian instead right. of Buddhist. Right. Um, but everyone speaks English. So you can go out into pretty rural areas. Not everyone, but particularly young people. Right. You can go out to these rural provincial uh, villages and everyone wants to practice their English with you. All the little kids come out and hello, where are you from? Yeah. You know, it's really, really nice. And I found the people there very, very friendly. Uh. And uh, so I was in Alegria for a little bit and then I, a friend of mine has a sailboat and I decided I wanted to go uh, live on a sailboat and explore some uninhabited islands. And he told me, come to Palawan. I'll meet you in Palawan. We can figure it out. So I... In, with the super limited Wi-Fi, I had 10 minutes of good Wi-Fi. I booked the first ticket, cheapest ticket I could find, 
turns out I booked it to the wrong airport and it was leaving the next morning mm. and I could not change it mm. and I was really upset with myself uh uh, wow. But I ended up just going with it. I went and I flew into um, Porta Princesa, and ha- and in the in the airport as I was heading to Porta Princesa, I had good Wi-Fi, and so I said, "Well, I, I'm going to a place that I've never been. I don't know anything about it. I want to see if there are any native tribes that I could go visit because that's right. like so I just Googled native tribes in Palawan, and there's a bunch of them. Uh, wow. partic- yeah, it, there's some kind of touristy spots where you can go and like do a half hour hike or they'll do like a cultural presentation for you. Right. Um, but that was not really the experience I was looking for. And I found out there's a tribe in the south, in the mountains in the south, near the tallest mountain on the island. And uh, they're called the Tautbatu. And they live in the rainy season they still live in caves they're cave people and in the in the dry season they have farms and with thatch roof you know just the typical stilt houses right. and they traditionally they hunted a lot and now they're you know they're going more towards agriculture they grow rice and corn and they grow uh, cassava which is manioc and taro grows naturally um, so I, I found uh, I found out how to get there and got a hold of a guide this adorable 88 year old man named Buono and if you on the on my face I'll post a blog because I took a bunch of videos it's just gonna take me a long time to make uh, but Buono took me uh, and then we hired his son uh, because I think I didn't want Buono to carry his pack and I wanted to help donate some more money to his family so we hired his son who's my age really really nice guy and we hiked pretty much a full day through some hot mountain jungles and got to and went out and lived with this uh, in, in in, in one of the houses with one of these families for four days and uh, it was really just totally beautiful you know that type of lifestyle is really really idyllic um, still is you know the only difference between now and say 20 years ago is they're wearing cotton clothing mm. you know but you know all the photos that I have it, it doesn't look like National Geographic because the little kid is wearing like a Michael Jordan shirt right. instead of a loincloth right. you know but if you imagine them in the different clothes the culture is exactly the same right. and they're very nice but of course shy yeah. you know they're shy people as most hunter-gatherer native tribes are you know are like very wary of outsiders um, but I found after a couple days just really before I left that I was able to make a really good connection with them though not speaking the language through playing with their kids and going you know going tree climbing that's with where them. you cl- climbed the yeah. tree with the kid yeah breadfruit yeah. tree I saw those photos yeah his name was uh, Kuji he was a cool little kid and he actually he was the only one who liked getting his photo taken mm. you know because I would show him the picture and then he would go like climb up a tree and like look down at me and smile and start laughing <laughs> and I'd be like oh man this Poser. kid is great <laughs> so I climbed up a breadfruit I, I, I found a breadfruit tree because he had got, climbed a um, papaya tree a really tall one to gather some fruit for me earlier and I gave him like a candy bar because I had a candy bar in my bag and shared it with his friends but uh, then later we found a really great breadfruit tree and I, and I pointed up the tree and I like said, hey, you want to race? And he's like looking at me like, what are you joking? I jumped up and grabbed the first branch and just like climbed up as fast as I could. And he just, the look on his face was like, wow. So he climbed up after me and we're hanging out on this treetop and all the family comes out and we pick the breadfruit and throw it down. And they're all like talking amongst themselves and laughing. And as soon as I came down from that, people were much warmer around me. Like before, yeah. when they would walk around me, they would right. like kind of go 
eight, nine feet, give me space. But now Ooh. they're like walking up and accidentally bumping into me and feeling way more comfortable, <laughs> you know, sitting great. next to me. And actually, I That's showed them great. the my Mentawai Ind Indonesian video when uh, I visited the Mentawai. Uh -huh. And you know, back in the ice ages, there were land bridges. Right. You know, so there this culture between the Indonesian Mentawai and these uh, Taupatu of the Philippines is very similar. And they're yeah. looking at. You know they're hunting with bows and arrows. The Taubatu use um, used to use uh, blowguns. Now they have like air rifles and stuff like that. Um, but uh, yeah, every time they would see something, all of all of a sudden they'd all like start talking to each other, like, "Oh, oh that's like that. That's like that," and laughing. Right. And you know, uh, that's interesting. Yeah. I wonder if that. I mean, that's such an unusual thing to be showing a hunter gatherer group a video of another hunter gatherer group, also tropical, mm -hmm. so similar environment. They're probably recognizing trees uh -huh. and, and different things. You could tell that they could tell what he was doing. Right. They're like, oh, yeah. he's doing this. He's making poison. Right. You know? So it's not like watching television where they see some alien, bizarre world. They're uh -huh. seeing their own world, just slightly, slightly different. different. Yeah. yeah. That's interesting. Wow. Yeah. That's it felt wild, it felt man. cool to do that. I was like, man, how yeah. how neat to be able to to show them anything of the outside world, like to show them, you know, videos of New York and stuff. I feel like would be weird yeah you know like oh here's here's what the rest of the world is like outside of your little bubble but right. to show something so similar but so far away i thought was really cool they really liked it that's strange have you ever seen a a book called before they pass away yes we talked about this oh, did we yes yeah. we did the first, first podcast photos. holy cow jimmy <laughs> nelson nelson, nelson. Yeah. yeah yeah well incredible man well listen uh i i know there are lots of things that we're not talking about that we'll pick this up down the road somewhere yeah hope, hope to see you somewhere you haven't been to africa yet mm -mm. that's where cassie and i are going in about a month so we won't see you there but uh yeah maybe we'll see you in southern thailand yeah or oh yeah that's right in a couple weeks yeah yeah all right thanks for doing this i'm going to post this right away so uh people can check out your blog you just posted the blog about riding your motorcycle around yeah the west. part two 18,000 miles around the american west all right check it out adventuresofjustin.com hope everybody's having a good time out there see ya i hope you enjoyed that conversation and appreciate your support for the podcast especially those of you who do it through fundwhatyoulove.com where you can set it up to take a buck, five bucks, ten bucks, whatever you can afford, whatever you feel motivated to throw at the podcast every month. Uh, you don't have to think about it. It's an ongoing thing. You can cancel at any time, of course. That's fundwhatyoulove.com. That's run by Danny Osman, who also does the sound engineering for the show. You can find him at emeraldcitypro.com if you have any engineering, sound engineering needs. He's great. I vouch for him, of course. He's been doing the sound engineering for this podcast for over a year now, completely voluntarily. Uh, he's a cool guy. So if you have any business you want to throw his way, please do. Thanks to Basin and Range for the opening music. You can find them at basinandrangeband.com. Uh, there's a Reddit tangentially speaking discussion group. If you want to talk about episodes, throw a question at me, get a conversation started at Reddit. Just do a search for tangentially speaking, all one word. And of course, thanks to Bennett at Shore Design T-Shirts, another guy who's been supporting this podcast from the very beginning when I had about 15 listeners. He was there. He's still there. 
and uh, I love him. Never met the guy, but I love him, and I sure as hell love his shirts. So you can get his shirts at shoredesigntshirts.com, and of course, all the shirts that are at chrisryanphd.com are made by Sure Design T-shirts in Thailand and packaged and shipped to you by my mom, Julie. Uh, Say hi to Julie if you order anything. She loves it when that happens. And of course, last but not least, thanks to Carsey Blanton for the song you're about to hear, Smoke Alarm, which reminds you to carpe fucking diem because you're going to die one day. He said, baby, what's a big deal? Feel what you want to feel Say what you want to say You're gonna die one day For example, I could kiss you Just because I want to What's the difference if you turn away? I'm gonna die one day Why do you waste your time Thinking about your reputation Trying to meet an expectation Wondering what they're gonna say When everyone you've ever known Is headed for a headstone I don't wanna give the end away But we're gonna die one day Your body is an animal Doesn't ask for much A little music and a soft touch Why don't you let it out to play Your heart is in a birdcage Singing in your chest You wanna shut it up but give it a rest You're gonna die one day Why do we waste our time Thinking about a reputation Running from a confrontation Wondering what we ought to say <laughs> When everyone we've ever known Is headed for a headstone I don't want to give the end away But we're gonna die one day We're gonna die one day We're gonna die one day So baby, what's a big deal? If you want to be free, say what you want to feel Spend the night with me I'm gonna take you up in my arms And if we must go down We'll go singing to the smoke alarms We'll dance into the ground